Norman and the Road Warriors take on the tough guys in a six-man tag team rumble. And the ultimate showdown between good and evil. Sting, accompanied by Robocop. Watch as they show off their might and metal in Capital Combat Nighting. Priced at just $39.98 per cassette. This monumental wrestling event contains the greatest stars in their most grueling events. So before you make your next move... Make it over, Creed. Only from Turner Home Entertainment. Capital Combat Nighting. Hello and welcome to The Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong. I'm Alex. I'm Julio, and thank you for listening. If you like what you hear, head over to Apple Podcasts to subscribe and leave us a five-star review. Help promote the algorithm and spread the word. You can also find us on SoundCloud to subscribe and review. And don't forget to visit our main website, wearethecontrarians.com. Follow us on Twitter at Contrarian Prime. And to like us on Facebook, visit facebook.com slash contrarianprime. And if you have the willpower to keep up with our pretentious ramblings, you can follow us individually at Contrarian Alex for myself and at Ovnio for Julio. That's O V N I O. Now, time for the podcast. All right, I am recording for Contrarian's Corner for Robocop, the original. Peter Weller, a University of North Texas alum, so he and I have that in common. And <laughs> that I've and al- your, uh, your love for guns. And I, I was about to say, and I've also had Kurtwood Smith point a gun at me, so those are the two <laughs> things that he and I have in common. Hello, and welcome back to the Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong. My name is Alex. I did graduate from the University of North Texas in 2010, playing part into the celebration of today's episode. And I am joined, as always, by my comrade and cohort, Julio. Julio, uh, as we discussed very briefly before we hit the the red button to start recording on this, before the red light was on, as they say, uh, tackling uh, quite the big matzo ball here that you and I didn't really think of, but uh, when we first thought up this for an episode when I first requested this, I really didn't comprehend or ruminate on the undertaking that was ahead of us. Yeah. It was like a, it was like a throwaway uh, suggestion for the episode. Like, hey, do you want to do Robocop? Sure. Why not? And and then suddenly <laughs> there's excitement all around us. Um, this is suddenly it's almost as stressful as recording the beasts of no nation episode. Almost. But, we want to get this one right. Yeah, for real. Uh, Peter Weller's hairline towards the end of this movie resembles Idris Elba's and Beasts of No Nation. So <laughs> they have that in common as well. So again, this is The Contrarians. I'm Alex. That's Julio. If this is your first time joining us, uh, thank you very much. If you're a returning listener, uh, thank you as well. Give us a moment here while we explain our gimmick to uh, any and all potential new listeners tuning in for Robocop. As the impact it has made on pop culture is so uh, massive and mammoth, we may have some new listeners here. 
So here on The Contrarians, what we like to do is rage against the Rotten Tomatoes machine, take a movie that's highly rated on Rotten Tomatoes, uh, a lot of times known as Certified Fresh, and make a case for you know maybe why it shouldn't be, maybe take it down a few pegs from its high hoity-toity standing. On the other side of that coin, uh, we find a movie on Rotten Tomatoes known as Rotten, one of those nasty green splotches, typically about 30% and below, and we'll make a case for maybe why that movie should be celebrated and find the positive merit in it. Or as uh, M from Verbal Diorama uh, sang our praises in recent publication of Film Stories here, hosted by Alex and Julio, the contrarians do exactly what the name suggests and reject popular opinion on film. If it's critically and or commercially acclaimed, they'll find something wrong with it. If it's a box office bomb, they'll defend it and find lots to love. Discard everything you thought you knew and listen to this fun, hilarious podcast. Now, I'm not going to read that verbatim every time, Julio, but I feel that's some fantastic <laughs> copy there that, that uh, M has provided us with. Yes, it sounds even better, I'm assuming, uh, if you have a British accent like M's, but but you did okay. I, I did what I could, but when I read that, I was like, man, that's a better summation of what I say every week than I do on my actual podcast. So, <laughs> so much classier. It is, and we appreciate the uh, the kind words, but that's what we do here on The Contrarian, specifically in the first portion. We call the first portion of our podcast Contrarian's Corner. You'll hear us very uh, pompously uh, acronize our own halves of the podcast and we'll say cc uh, but then we have rt julio which is the second portion of the podcast what goes down there rt stands for real talk and that's where we actually we drop the facade we stop trying to be funny and we just we just talk about how we really feel about the movie sometimes we know how each other feels sometimes we don't um i i don't think i've ever talked about robocop with you alex even though we've both seen this movie before uh we've never really had a conversation so i don't really know where you stand i don't know if you have any history with the franchise uh just before we started recording we kind of discovered that we played robocop games probably mm -hmm. not the same robocop games but still there's gonna be a lot to talk about in real talk yeah th there's there's plenty to tackle when you said that it's when we stopped trying to be funny i just thought of that the first Saturday Night Live after 9-11, where uh, it's not so funny now because fucking Giuliani was there. But Lauren Michaels says to Giuliani, can we be funny? And Giuliani says, why start now? That's what I thought of. when <laughs> What a stain. On that. What know. stain on comedy? <laughs> a great moment in television history now stained. Being that RoboCop does sit at a towering 90% on Rotten Tomatoes, that means here in the first portion of the podcast, uh, we're going to bring this Terminator clone down to size and call it out for what it really is. Uh, I mean, this dystopian, apocalyptic Detroit that we're going to visit, we'll, we'll do our best to clean the streets up and see what comes of it. Yeah, and just in case you walked in here thinking that the, we were talking about the most recent RoboCop, the... The cooler Robocop, the sleeker Robocop. Uh, that's not the case. We're talking about the 80s version. Back in 1987, uh, just looks really shortly after my birth into this world. I wasn't even two months old on July 17th of 1987. But this bad boy does stand at 90%, as I mentioned. It is a highly acclaimed film, uh, has a Criterion release, for Christ's sake. So people love this. Um, I, a friend of the podcast, Reed, does own the Criterion. Uh, it is now out of print. I reached out to him to see if the essay that came along with it was written by anyone not uh, notable. Uh, he responded first with Scorsese and reads so dry and deadpan that I thought he was being serious, uh, but he was not. Uh, and this is one of the more OG Criterion DVDs. So it, the supplements 
as it were, aren't as exhaustive as they are now. So he said there wasn't really too much to speak of in the way of an essay that, you know, what I'm referring to like the modern ones have an essay that kind of warrant its inclusion in the Criterion Collection. Right, um, the, the Noah Bombach supplement. The, there you go. If I recall correctly, though, the Armageddon Criterion has kind of a foreword from Roger Ebert in it. I might be wrong on that, but <laughs> whatever the case, 90% Criterion release, celebrated figure in pop culture history. Julio, critics, you know, the, the hills were alive with the cries of RoboCop. What were the critics saying of this? Well, I have three carefully selected quotes from the Rotten Tomatoes website. All fresh. If you want to hear the rotten quotes, stick around for real talk. Um, but let's start with Eric Henderson from Slant Magazine, who says, Robocop set the tone for much of Dutch auteur import Paul Verhoeven's career in America. Would you think that Robocop set the tone for Showgirls? I mean, we got Showgirls coming down the pipe uh, here in a few months, so we, we might be able to make some parallels between the two. I... I Really hope so. <laughs> uh, Brian McKay from eFilmCritic.com says, An ultraviolent cyberpunk comic book come to life. Kurtwood Smith serves up one of the most deliciously nasty villains in movie history. Um, I'm assuming that this was written before that 70s show was a thing. And yes, I-, I would hope so. Because that, <laughs> yes. that's where he pulls it off. He's a true all-time villain in that. And finally, Fred Topple from We Live Entertainment. Robocop will always be a vital story, whether a corporation brings us back from the dead with cybernetic technology or just sells our social media activity to their clients, they cannot own who we are. Uh, so number one, obviously this was a more recent review. Yeah, clearly. <laughs> uh, number two, I I think he's, he's stretching, he's reaching. Mm-hmm. Uh, our friend Fred here comparing... Whatever is going on in Robocop with, I don't know, Facebook, Twitter, I don't see it. Yeah, that, that's a that's a bit of a stretch there. I mean, the worst that happens on Facebook is like you accidentally post a picture of your penis. These things in Robocop, it's like these machines accidentally brutally murder innocent people in the streets. I think they it's shoot a little, your penis. They shoot your penis. Exactly. It's a, it's a little bit different uh, levels of gravity that we're dealing with here. Uh, Fred Topple, maybe a little sheltered. I don't know. So as we get into this, Julio, I assume we both watched this the same way. I learned from doing this that I don't own this movie. So that's obviously something that's going to need to be uh, changed. I, I do see online on Amazon you can buy a, a three-pack that comes along with two and three, the superior films on Blu-ray. So <laughs> may have to dip into that. Uh, but I watched this on Amazon Prime as it's uh, free with an Amazon subscription. Is that how you watched it as well? Uh, yes, I... I mean, I was thinking that this could be, if it was a cheap Criterion purchase, a la your Howard the Duck Blu-ray. I was mm-hmm. like, I could I could throw in like $5 to get the Blu-ray Criterion. But now that you've told me that it's out of print, I don't know that I care. Uh, <laughs> but uh, what I learned was, as I was watching, when I did the search on Amazon Prime, was that 2 and 3 are also available to stream for free. My God. So, I know. If I'd had a little more time, I would have just sat through... I would have binged all three together because it can only get better from from chapter one, right? Uh, there's also a cartoon that apparently is also available. So there's... The Robocop content out there is plentiful. And I, I'll bet that it's... Overall, it's much better than its beginnings with this 1987 movie. As far as the transfer goes, I thought it was fine. Uh, the... 
old school Orion logo that kicked it off. I, I've noticed that some movies, the when the transfers are more modern or just straight up digital and not actually film transfers, they'll knock uh, chop off some of the old signatures on it. So seeing that old school Orion logo uh, definitely set the stage for what we would become to know as part man, part machine, and all cop. And again, going back to, to 1987, as I mentioned a bit earlier, July 17th of 1987. So not quite raking in that 4th of July Americana money, but there's few things American than the idea of this film. I think if uh, Peter Weller had been eating a hot dog uh, or an, a slice of apple pie at the end of this movie, that that's probably the only way this could have been more American. They had to save something for the sequels. <laughs> <laughs> it's truly a shame that the uh, RoboCop 2 poster isn't in the vein of the Uncle Sam poster with RoboCop <laughs> pointing. I want OCP you, wants you. <laughs> to see this movie. RoboCop opens, uh, as I mentioned, we're in the dystopian, uh, not so distant future. It's never specifically named in this movie. Uh, from my research, it's supposed to be 1991. So Detroit hadn't fallen that far off the map by that point. Uh, but they weren't too far off. Uh, the city's just like on the brink of absolute collapse from every conceivable angle. And the way we learn this is because the movie starts like a, a damn mockumentary of sorts. We're watching like whatever their equivalent of CNN is at the time. And I guess this is how they do exposition. This was my fear because I haven't seen this movie in a long time. And, uh, you know, it opens with uh, with those screens, with television screens, and, uh, you know, it's like a newscast, and then there's commercials, and it looks grainy and really lo-fi, and my fear was that that's, that was really what we're in for the next hour and 45 minutes. I thought I'd, like, turned on a scanline feature on my television and was trying to figure it out, but, yeah, it had been so long since I'd seen it, I had forgotten this is how they lay out the plot, or they lay out, you know, they, the players in the game, is that... I believe it's three times throughout the totality of the film that they have this like check in with the local news team. That's like, and then more recent news, red foreman shot a bunch of cops today. And <laughs> they now here's a bullshit commercial about a board game that doesn't exist. Yes. That, or like a, a doctor that is uh, specializing in heart surgeries. But what we learn is that crime is the city of Detroit is rife with crime and uh, they identify, what is Red Foreman's name in this movie? Kurtwood Smith. I mean, Clarence. Clarence, that's right. They hey, identify. Clarence, thanks. <laughs> yeah. Dick Jones at some point. Hey, Clarence, way to go. <laughs> Clarence Boddicker. He is a career criminal and a leader of the Boddicker gang. And that's they, the movie. Holds your hand so much so of showing like his eight by ten at the beginning and saying, This is the bad guy. <laughs> I guess you kinda needed to do that in the late eighties. You don't need to do that now in this post that 70s show world. No. No, not at all. Especially because I believe that 70s show is still on Netflix. If that's the case, yeah, I need to circle that back in the rotation. I need to now that the office is gone, I need a show to be my nightly uh, routine. So wouldn't it be horrible if now you watch the show and you can't not see Clarence when you when you see Red? Yeah, he's a bit too he's a bit more charismatic and womanizing in this than he is in that 70s show. <laughs> we go from that to being introduced to our main character, eventually our titular character, Alex Murphy, played by the UNT alum Peter Weller, a police officer in old Detroit. 
Uh, he, I guess, he's transferred to the the precinct in the inner city, and I can't remember exactly where he said he came from, but my guess is that it's like the cushy suburbs on the outskirts of downtown, because he yep. tells everyone where he's coming from, like, oh, God, welcome to the jungle, kid, and they use all these expressions with him that are uh, played out. So this is problem number one. Peter Weller. I'm sorry. I'm going to speak ill of your your alum. We're both alums, um, yeah. We both yeah. would wear the same jacket if we went to a, an event that featured cigars. <laughs> your co-alum. Well, next time that you guys are, are hanging out uh, with the rest of the of the of your university chums, uh, you can tell them that your co-host thinks that he was terribly miscast in RoboCop. I don't feel bad saying this because I know he went on to have a career, but Peter Weller's RoboCop is just the weakest element in the movie. I think I got the feeling, especially watching it, you know, after all these years and knowing how the story plays out, that nobody had told Peter Weller that he is not a robot at the beginning of the movie. It's like, it's a solid, you know, 20, 25 minutes before he's actually Robocop, but he's it's already Dwight acting like and, uh, Dwight and Threat Level Midnight, like where it just keeps cutting back to Michael just being like, Dwight is not a robot. <laughs> yeah, I think that Willard read the title of, of the script and then he's like, all right, got it. And then from then on, he's just acting, he's barely emoting. And so the, there's no contrast. When he becomes Robocop, the real difference is just the, the appearance. But personality-wise, he's the same before and after he he goes through the transformation. I mean, that's such a huge missed opportunity. It's a huge uh, misstep. And you're talking about your protagonist. Returning to the Contrarians, though, is his new partner uh, on the force, Anne Lewis, played by Nancy Allen, coming back after her lauded performance and blowout. And then we also <laughs> at some point had a discussion about her in Dress to Kill, but it's been a while. And I think that Verhoeven had already cast her. And then the night before shooting was supposed to start, he watched both of those movies and was like, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> so I just imagine he still had her record all her lines, but the you know 90% of them have been cut from the movie because she's around, but most of her dialogue is spoken in singular singular or just like a pair of words. And it's, it's almost like to the Mike Wazowski principle. I'm surprised there's not like set pieces or, you know, props blocking her in most of the shots that she's in. <laughs> uh, she's like the, the music video and the rocker. Yes, excellent. That's a, a perfect uh, Contrarians canon uh, reference. And also here in the opening, or when we get to the police station we're walking through, we have two absolutely tried and true tropes of 80s action movies. One, the I've had it up to here with y'all, black police sergeant. And then two, uh, topless woman for absolutely no reason whatsoever. Yes, uh, very titillating that that detour into the the police locker room i guess because I, I was writing hey opening man ass and then as i was writing it opening boobs it was just like all right it is the 80s running parallel with all of this i think i've already used the word parallel once in this episode so i apologize but concordantly or any other two dollar word that i can think of any word that i can buy for a dollar uh the <laughs> <laughs> The I'll buy simultaneously for a dollar. <laughs> I guess you wouldn't call it a subplot. It's just the other thing that's happening that eventually converges with our main story here. 
a company by the name of OCP, Omni Consumer Products, because of the way the government and basically the money has shifted in the dystopian future that this movie occupies. The Detroit police force are owned by this company, and it's just basically a bunch of fucking cutthroat businessmen. You know, white the t- men. Yeah, the white men, the cocaine, the hair, the suits, everything you would expect of the 80s. And their goal is to basically diminish crime and control the streets in a fairly dominant yet cost-effective fashion. And at this board meeting that we're, we walk into, uh, that we're privy to here, the senior vice president, Dick Jones, demonstrates this fucking massive robot that is probably the number one thing in my mind that I remember from this when I was younger because it's so ominous and the way it moves is so scary because the way it moves it's a practical effect but it's also clearly done on a smaller scale i don't know if this was even claymation or what it was but the way it moves is so erratic and really freaked me out as a kid for whatever reason so i remember as this a kid yeah oh yeah as an adult it it doesn't have that same scare factor it's like saying that hocus pocus scared me as a kid and then watching it now and just being like hmm i don't know about all this you know what did scare me about this scene though connell cochran was back to destroy the children of Detroit. Who? <laughs> Connell Cochran, the the old man. He's he's called the old man in this. He's the executive right. of Dan O'Herlihy. Oh my God! Okay, I know who he is. Holy yeah. shit! Holy Cochran shit. from Halloween Three. He survived. <laughs> it's, he has a new scheme. <laughs> it's uh, <laughs> he just had to hold on a few years and get away from. Uh, Fucking Tom Atkins. But Man, yeah. his master plan is slightly less ridiculous this time. Yes, and that plays into what happens here is that this demonstration from Dick Jones, which is just a fantastic bad guy name, <laughs> goes absolutely awry. And he tries to demonstrate, look at this thing. It can, you know, uh, stop criminals. So he has someone mime, like simulate committing a crime. And this thing doesn't know simulation from reality, so it just arms itself and just brutally guns down this innocent man. And the reason I bring up Cochran is because his face, he's like mildly inconvenienced by this happening, like six feet in front of him. And no shit, you know, he, he was trying to kill all the children of the world. So this this isn't the first time this, one, this person's seen someone brutally killed. But to be fair, everybody in that office, I mean, they're in, in a panic. When it while it looks like they could also be shot, but the moment that it's all shut down and it's clear that the the robot is no longer a threat, they seem pretty cool with the fact that their coworker is just a bloody mess, smoking in the corner of the office. Nobody really cares that much. They're like, oh well, man, that was a close one. Moving Three million dollars on. of the thirteen million dollar budget on this film was used just for the squibs on that guy. They basically just like strapped a shit ton of tomatoes to him and threw him down a well. Uh, but yeah, didn't it seem like the way they acted when it was over was like, this is not the first time it's happened in one of these meetings before. Dick Jones. always It could go either way with Dick Jones, but you're always on for a show. It's uh, That's kind of a recurring theme in the movie. People underreacting to horrible gunshot wounds. We'll go through them as they, as they come. But uh, before I forget, did you find that Dick Jones looked a lot like the yuppie version of David Carradine? I could go with that, yeah. It's not what it came to mind, but I could go with that. I, I was like, that guy looks like someone. I was like, Bill? Bill, <laughs> if he was a 
an 80s corporate asshole. <laughs> Did you also take note of probably my favorite line of dialogue spoken in this movie when the the smoke is still coming out of homeboy's bullet wounds? Someone just goes, call a paramedic. <laughs> It's like I, I honestly, this this wonderful contrarian journey that we're in, my my first thought was, oh, just like David Caruso and Jade, after that woman's been run over twice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was definitely, it made me think of um, Will Forte and The Watch, where his partner gets killed by an alien, and the alien like rips the his partner's heart out, and Will Forte's got the heart, and he's trying to put it back in his body, and he's like, it's all right, buddy, you'll pull through. <laughs> It's like this guy, I mean, it's over. It's they they dropped the final curtain on him. No need to get a paramedic. Get a fucking priest up there to call it. Um. So so this this scene though is also what we're introduced to. In my opinion, the MVP of the movie, the the one, the ED two hundred nine. No, that's. I'm sorry, Alex. I, I don't want to rehash all our uh, practical effects versus CGI arguments here, especially because I'm not even sure what exactly went into the ED-209's depiction in this movie. But that is... That looks really weak to modernize, like, my own. Come on, you could you could remaster that shit. You can do better. But no, I'm talking about Miguel Ferrer, who I couldn't even tell you... I know that I know him from other things, but the main thing that I know him from is Robocop. He's definitely a, a perennial, hey, that guy, guy. Yeah. I mean, he, he was... In so many movies, I'm trying to think of off the top of my head, just going through his filmography here, things that I would definitely know him from. I mean, he's a he was in Twin Peaks, got that going for him. Doesn't he just come to life <laughs> every time he's like on the, him and the movie? They, everything just seems so much livelier whenever Miguel Ferrer is there, just being the prototypical '80s asshole with the ambition and the the gusto every time the he gets to twist the knife on somebody's back. Oh, and then absolutely. on top of that, he gets a flunky. He has like his best friend that's just kind of dorky and good natured. The zany sidekick there that's always kind of just a little bit too happy to be where he's at in his life. And yep. Not fully comprehending the situations around him. But uh yeah, Miguel definitely an early contender, at least from this movie, for uh, a potential uh, recognition somewhere down the line. Because like you said I think he didn't really care what the tone of the movie was because uh, it definitely jumps up and down from time to time. I think he he's the one consistency in this movie. I guess we could say that about him. He's as zany and as go-getter here in the first scene as he is until his untimely passing later on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So back on the beat, uh, Murphy and what's Nancy Allen's name? Uh, Lewis. Lewis and Murphy are on the trails of the Boddicker gang. You have Emil Leon, Joe, and Steve, and of course, headed by Clarence, uh, the Bodiger gang. They chase them down to their their like their hideout, I guess. It, it, classic eighties, early nineties. It's a, like an abandoned junkyard where they just kind of have this makeshift um, layer that they live in, with you know the telltale pizza boxes and beer cans and the one TV that always seems to be on, you know, MTV. Uh, no, this one's on the local news because they've got that going on in the background. You got to keep that going through the entire film. That weird strain of everyone watches the news, not Newsmax. It seems like it was just the the lamestream media that they were listening to. Whatever fake the case, news. fake news. Whatever the case, Murphy stumbles into the wrong den here as he 
is there to apprehend them after a, a long chase with a lot of action and it unfortunately just doesn't go his way and i think that's a way of putting it very mildly he, uh, <laughs> well, they're both terrible cops uh lewis and murphy i mean they kind of deserve each other but for what there's only two of them and there is what five people in clarence's <laughs> gang at least where's the backup uh, backups on its way all right and they still just run into the mouth of the beast yeah i mean it's not like the like clarence and his gang they were not going anywhere and back up, I think it, they say that it's going to be like 20 minutes. They could have waited 20 minutes. But instead, they just go in. Do you know why? Because they're not real cops. They're like, or they're not good cops, at least. They're they're thrill seekers. Even from before, from when they're, they're having their big chase. I mean, you can tell. It's not just the bad guys. The good guys also. And this runs throughout the entire movie. The good guys cannot wait to start shooting. That is just, you know, that's the main goal here. It's like, how many how many times can we, like, pull the trigger? So, of course, they're not going to wait 20 minutes outside the warehouse. They're just going to go in. Odds be damned. And then what happens as soon as they get in? Lewis <laughs> gets knocked out because she walks in on Joe taking a piss. And then this is, I mean, I'm not even making it up to be funny in Contrarian's Corner. Oh, yeah. She gets a drop on him. She has a gun on him. And he says, well, can I zip up? At least, because I guess, presumably, his penis is still hanging out. And uh, she glances at it. She doesn't even glance right away when he says it. She, like, holds his stare for a minute. And then after after a few seconds, she glances down. I said, like, she couldn't help herself. She can't resist her carnal urges. It's so Is this dumb. supposed to be funny? I don't think so. I mean, fuck, if, if Paul Verhoeven is a really sick person if this movie is supposed to be funny at any point. I think he would think it's funny. No, I actually I take that back. I think he thinks it's what Americans would think is funny. Interesting point. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, she couldn't resist the urge to look at the man hanging brain, so she's taken captive for it. And Peter Weller here, in the this is where the first time, one of two, he drops his line, which is probably the most famous line from this movie, dead or alive, you're coming with me, which is such a stupid thing to say when five dudes have guns pointed at you. I think it's... Uh, <laughs> It's going to go one way. It's like Billy Bob at the end of the Alamo when he's outnumbered. Um, so he tries to put up a fight. But again, it's like five dudes with massive guns and they just disembowel him with weapons, with firearms. They start like shooting his limbs off and shit to the point where it's uh, Reed was explaining to me that there's an X rated cut of this where this scene is more gruesome than it is in the R rated cut. But this is already ridiculously gruesome <laughs> I mean, it's so perfect of like it's almost it feels almost more 70s than 80s because you know we still lived in the age of the big loud action movie in the 80s but the 70s are really guilty of having a lot of hilarious overkill scenes of people just getting shot 30 times and still ah you know platoon style shit and then this, oh, but see, he's getting that's... unloaded on with shotguns and like <laughs> chunks of his body are flying everywhere and he just keeps like Ah, <laughs> but it's not even he doesn't start screaming until i think he's already missing an arm which goes well, back that's the first thing they do they shoot off his hand first of all right yeah. but he doesn't you know they shoot off his hand and his his reaction is well, he's in shock julio well it's like like he stubbed his toe or something he's just like oh it's like i'm sorry if you shoot my hand off i will at least whimper i, I will do more than what murphy is doing there like it takes a while for him to actually start reacting to the gunshots like like a human being yeah it's it's preposterous and then 
Kurtwood Smith shoots him in the head, point blank. He, I think he even says, like, enough fucking around or enough laughing or something like that. Shoots him in the head. I think you might take contention with the, the practical effects here, too, because they do, like, a 360 panning shot of his fake head, and it looks like... Uh, it's almost like Total Recall shit. Verhoeven used the same prop guy in both movies, apparently. <laughs> he used the same prop. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, white people look the same. It's all right. <laughs> How terrible these guys are at shooting that they still don't kill him, even after all that. Dude, I have my notes say here, LOL, he's still alive. Because it cuts <laughs> to like them, you know, the overhead shot of, uh, or the POV shot, excuse me. Of the doctors and you know the the going through the emergency room, the lights going off overhead, and then like memories in his head of his wife and kid, and then they they will show like an overhead shot of him with this gaping massive wound in his head. I had forgotten I had forgotten how ridiculous this movie is. How that Contrarian's Corner, real talk, what have you? I had forgotten how just absolutely absurd some of this is. Before that, Lewis is holding the one hand he has left, and she's like, "Don't worry, Murphy, you're gonna be okay." <laughs> You're going to make it, son. <laughs> the, all that was missing was the black sergeant being there, just being like, you're going to be back on the beat tomorrow, kid. <laughs> but they tr- they try to bring this man who's been shot a dozen times, once in the head, they try to bring him back to life, and I don't think it goes entirely according to plan. Uh, but this is where RoboCop is born. So this came from the idea of the previously mentioned uh, Miguel uh, Ferreira, uh, Bob Morton in this movie, a young and ambitious OCP executive who had this idea for the RoboCop. Although it's not the only reason you would really know this is where RoboCop is born is because you've seen the poster for this movie and you just assume that's where it's going. Aside from like a couple of vague conversations, it's not like you see any blueprints or anything like that for RoboCop. You just kind of see it from the first person view of Weller for a while. And he's like behind some cellophane and then he's like discarded on the floor like, you know, uh, so much Andy's toys and Toy Story on the side. <laughs> and then eventually you see you start walking with him from the the perspective that he's in like a first person video game. Uh, and then we're, we're finally we see it. But it, it, correct me if I'm wrong, but you, you don't as a viewer in 1987, uh, this movie doesn't provide you with a lot of, you know, the the concept uh, concept art. Or uh, the you know the, some proposals for the the RoboCop. You're not, uh, yeah, not a whole lot of context. Also, I don't know, maybe not in '87, but as a citizen of the year 2021, I found it very irritating that the RoboCop POV is not HD. Instead, it looks like really old TV <laughs> with just like the lines, the scan and, lines. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like really <laughs> the future of law enforcement. And the guy we mentioned earlier, um, Morton's kind of lackey, who's always way too excited to be there. When RoboCop's born, everyone's clapping for him, and he just looks at RoboCop. He goes, that's for you. He's like, go get him, Robo. (laughs) Uh, That guy. I think that guy's in the sequel, at least in the second one. God bless. He was the the most perpetually positive character in this movie, but now it becomes the RoboCop show. Everyone's, it's the shiny new toy. It's walking around the walking like a robot and everyone at the station. Uh, we get this, I, I guess it's supposed to be funny scene that they're all in target practice and his gun is so much bigger and louder than everyone's and they all crowd around him to see what's going on. I mean, it's, it becomes RoboCop. 
It's the the RoboCop show. Even though he's not named that until the end, is he? Do they ever call him RoboCop? I don't remember. I mean, at the end, he he names himself, or he, I guess, takes back his name. It's like, okay, I'm Robo Murphy. Because no, yeah, uh, Kurtwood Smith says, "Die, RoboCop," or like, "Goodbye, RoboCop," or you know, oh, some yeah. gotcha wow. bad guy line. Uh, okay, I was so, so appalled by the violence at that point <laughs> that I completely missed the titular line. <laughs> Okay, good. I was just making sure I didn't miss, you know, the newspapers being like, they call him the RoboCop. <laughs> oh, you know, now that you mention it, maybe in one of those bullshit uh, newscasts, they might have said, who is the RoboCop? <laughs> who is the RoboCop dating? And then Aaron Eckhart was like, I am the RoboCop. Take me in. <laughs> so RoboCop, Peter Weller, immediately... <laughs> Nancy Allen immediately knows who it is because RoboCop has this uh, way of spinning his twirling his gun on the end of his finger when he puts it away because he was practicing that uh, their day when he got killed when they were out on their beat. And he said it was I can't remember the name of the TV show, but he was practicing it to master it to impress his son. It was like laser cop or something. (laughs) Yeah. Something like that. Laser officer. Uh, That is the one memory he has of his son. Every time he has a flashback, it's just the memory of his son watching that TV show and going, Dad, can you do that? Uh, definitely <laughs> what a narcissistic memory. <laughs> but yeah, that twirl of the gun tips off Nancy Allen as to where her partner Murphy went. I don't know how she thinks this is possible in 1987, <laughs> but she immediately is like, it's him. I like that Nancy Allen... I mean, I don't like it. I find it amusing as in like I'm laughing at the movie. But the fact that she seems pretty carefree about the fact that she got Murphy killed, because that was her fault. She, If she hadn't been knocked out. No uh, torment at all about the situation. She seems pretty cool. But then again, I mean, I think that's the default for most characters in this movie. The death surrounding them is okay as long as it doesn't happen directly to them. But the RoboCop goes out on his first mission, I guess you would call it. They just kind of charge him up and they feed him gruel and they keep him in this like almost electric chair type thing that monitors his uh, vitals and movements. Um, You would think, and this definitely comes back to bite him in the arse, you would think this massive weapononic killing machine that they have with the brain of a human, they would strap it down... (laughs) And basically ensure that it can't get up on its own free will. But no. Well, also, you would think that they would monitor him more closely than... I mean, they have like a little a little screen with a dot that shows where he is. And they've got the but seismograph, like monitoring his movements. Right. But there's... They unleash him on the city like, you know, here's a car and a gun. Go have fun. They, what happens if RoboCop malfunctions and stuff like killing innocents like the like the ED-209? It's not like they have like a SWAT team just tracking him, like tailing him so they can stop him right away. No, I mean, they would be, they would hear about it after the carnage has already happened. So uh, the amount of, uh, I wanted to say the amount of faith they have in the project, but really it's the amount of uh, fucks they don't give. Naivety. <laughs> <laughs> just, they just don't care. They leave too too little room or too much room for error. You know, the, a lot of the times people say no room for error. Well, they left nothing but room for error here. I feel like Verhoeven should have waited a few years and watched Beverly Hills Ninja and be like, 
oh, okay, all that can go wrong. So we should probably have this guy <laughs> on a on a tighter leash. Well, Miguel Ferrer is too busy doing coke to really. Yeah, care. that wasn't Verhoeven. That was uh, Edward uh, Newmeyer and Michael Miner. But yeah, for for whatever reason during this sequence, I just thought of um, Beverly Hills Ninja because it felt like RoboCop should have been more interested in like going to the strip club or like <laughs> going bowling or just drinking a lot. Uh, basically becoming Bender from Futurama is what I envisioned. But he goes out on his first um, jaunt to protect the neighborhood as this guy holds up a local convenience store with two old, uh, an old man and an old woman, looks like an old married couple that run it. Uh, he, he wants them to open the safe. He's got his gun pointed at him. This old dude, obviously not really too familiar with uh, camouflage or subtlety. <laughs> He leaves his safe like in the middle of the store and just covered it up with a cloak of beer cans, hoping no one would notice. What um, happens when somebody buys a beer from that tower? Of beers? <laughs> oh shit! There's a safe behind this. Or someone's like buys all twenty of them. Hey, wait a minute. There's a, there's a lemon behind that rock. Uh, so he's holding him up, and the RoboCop comes in. And, you know, you're under arrest. Please comply. Da 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 da. The guy just opens fire on him while continuously screaming, "Fuck me! Fuck me!" This guy's not well. He clearly needs some help. So instead, RoboCop just brutally assaults him and kills him. It's it's just the the beginning of well, not really the beginning. It's it's been happening through the entire movie. But but this is where the movie just switches gears from, hey, how horrible is violence when it's perpetrated to to the good guys, to the cops, right? And now it switches to like, hey, how cool is violence when it's perpetrated upon the bad guys? <laughs> Because for the next, you know, I don't know, 20, 30 minutes, the, the 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 big stretch where Robocop is just kicking ass and cleaning the streets. Viciously. He's just, yeah, viciously. It's like overkill. He doesn't need to be this violent because up to a point, he's indestructible. You know, he can just go over there and kind of like punch a dude, you know, not even punch him, like kind of like tap him with force. And that's it. Or at least uh, just like break his arms and handcuff him because he's not going to overpower you. Right, right. There is no need until much later in the movie when they the bad guys get a weapons upgrade. Robocop has no need to be to be this violent. Um, I mean, for not even taking into consideration the property damage, right? Because that store, he he tosses the guy against the cooler, and uh, you know the, the shop owners they seem pretty grateful that it didn't get worse. But at the same time, later once the adrenaline you know, leaves them and they just have to look at the state of their store. It's just, it's a different story. And it's just, it just goes on for this entire montage. Yeah. The next being a former mayor or councilman. Who was this that was holding people hostage? Yeah. Councilman Jam. Councilman Jam. My note says how Trump wanted it to end. Essentially, a, a local government official takes the the new mayor and some people hostage, and clear he already had clearly killed some people in the town hall. And you know they're trying to negotiate with them and talk them off the ledge. And it's just some ridiculous '80s dialogue where he tells the negotiating officer, "Don't jerk me off." Yeah, I kill people that jerk me off. And, and RoboCop comes through the wall, and I think he strangles the guy and throws him out the window like a true <laughs> uh, ambassador of the law. Yeah, this uh, this sequence also highlights another of my problems with RoboCop, uh, the original version at least, uh, which is that he doesn't have a sense of urgency. It's like they no. didn't program. I understand he's heavy, right? Which is also a design problem because you could have made him a little lighter, I think. But he's heavy and he never runs. He just 
He just walks everywhere. Now, this is a, a, a time-sensitive situation. Like, the, like you said, he already killed hostages, and he's threatening to kill more. And Robocop is just kind of taking his time. He tells the guy, the FBI guy that's negotiating, he's like, keep him talking. But that doesn't mean that he can just stroll <laughs> into the building and, you know, until he figures out the right spot to break the wall. He should have, I don't know, you know, if you can't make him run, maybe give him a, give him wheels on his shoes so he can just, just deploy them and do like, you know, like wheelies. Those, uh, like those yeah. shoes that fucking kids used to wear at the theater all the time. Yep. <laughs> Just get wheelies. A- <laughs> For those situations where you kind of need to pick up the pace. <laughs> Do you get stuck like going downhill at some point? <laughs> Lower your weapon. <laughs> well, I forgot to mention woven in this, though, as we kind of go through the seedy underbelly of Detroit, be it at the convenience stores or uh, it's City Hall. Uh, we are introduced, and not for the last time in the film, to Bigsby Snyder, which I don't know if this is like the modern equivalent of SNL in this dystopian Detroit, but his catchphrase is, I'd buy that for a dollar. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> I kept waiting for that to pay off, and it never did. Like, I mean, you see him on the TV screens. You see a, uh, at one point, one of the guys from Clarence uh, Gang is watching it. Uh, one of the TVs outside. It, I don't know. I thought that at some point, maybe Robocop was actually going to meet that guy, save his life, or he was going to turn out to be a criminal. But no, it's just... I wonder if he comes back in the sequel. If he's the, the C-3PO and R2-D2 of the franchise. <laughs> the true payoff would have been if Robocop said to someone, I'd buy that for a dollar. Like Brilliant. He... Where were you in 1987, Alex? <laughs> <laughs> that, that seems like it's just too on the nose. Like, uh, right before movie? he killed uh, Dick Jones at the end, just, you know, what are you doing? I'd buy that for a dollar and just shoots him. <laughs> I mean, and then everyone in the office just starts clapping for him. It would have been perfect. That would have been great if just Robocop uses I buy that for a dollar, but the context is completely <laughs> off. Yes. <laughs> he didn't understand. <laughs> exactly. Like in uh, Euro Trip when they go to Russia and they just only know a few expressions from 1980s television. This is the final line. What's your name, son? I buy that for a dollar. <laughs> yeah, and then Alone by Heart starts playing as we cut to RoboCop. That's one thing we didn't even talk about earlier. We just got RoboCop, but we didn't get any credits at all in this. Verhoeven said, fuck you all. No one's getting top billing money in this movie. That's all going to me. <laughs> Basically, the budget that's built in to get you guys billing at the beginning of the movie, uh, that's all coming into my pocket. doesn't look like the poster. I mean, it had the traditional... Uh, you know, credits at the bottom of the poster, but it, it wasn't, you know, Peter Weller is. Because I'm trying to think, besides Nancy Allen, who had done, and of course, Dan O'Hurley for Halloween 3. I'm just trying to think of who. It's like, he got the ant Who would have been bringing the bacon here? Yeah. Uh, introducing Miguel Ferrer. There you go. There you go. So after this just intense montage and sequence of violence and, you know, reckless abandon from RoboCop, we go to another news broadcast where we see that he is for the kids. RoboCop is, you know, going to schools and I guess talking about the dangers of drugs and, uh, you know, not saying your prayers and eating your vitamins. And he's like showing how the kids had a goose step on the playground. It's it's a very what are they going for here, Julio? I don't know. He's he's telling them that about the dangers of buying things for a dollar. I was having terrible no holds barred flashbacks with you know Hulk Hogan and his little children and uh, Robocop surrounded by these kids. And I don't know. I, 
I mean, by now, because we know what kind of movie we're in, or at least we can see where the movie's going, I, this is where I was just completely uncomfortable because, uh, like I said, it's one thing where, as over the top and ridiculous as it is, if you're at least telling me, well, this is how the bad guys behave, and this is just, like, the, the violence from the bad guys, I can kind of take that. But now, I, I'm put in a position where the good guys acting that way is being celebrated, and without really a hint of self-awareness. It's basically the halfway point of the movie, so we have another one of these news breaks that is just there to kind of tell you, you know, check your Twitter feed, turn to the person next to you and talk for a little bit, see if you missed anything uh, online, (laughs) catch up on emails. You'll be back to the movie in no time. It's like a built-in break. Robocop in his natural state of rest now in his big fucking throne that he sits on. Uh, I guess you would call this him having a nightmare as he starts recollecting on when he was killed. He has three memories. That's all it is. He has a memory of Red shooting him in the head. He has a memory of his son saying, hey, dad, can you do that? And he has a really weird memory of his wife in a, in a nightgown saying, hey, you, I have something to tell you. <laughs> so he wakes up from this bad dream. This is where my note, why wasn't he chained down? Uh, he goes and he finds uh, Emil trying to just, I guess, torment that dude at the gas station. Oh, he robs him with his money, and he beats him up, and he asks him who he is, and he has kind of a uh, an intersection with Lewis. He's like, it's me, Lewis. Me, Lewis. You, Murphy. And tries to explain the situation to him, and he kind of knows. I got you killed, it. remember? <laughs> uh, Miguel Ferrer, uh, Morton, Bob Morton. It's telling the police chief or the sergeant, excuse me, and everyone there. He's our product. You guys, you, we have, we need full cooperation from you. He's not a man. He's a product. They they say he's product like four times in this movie. So yeah, he finds Emil, beats the shit out of him. Like you know, <laughs> Grandma's Lysol couldn't wash out that beating, and goes and basically scans his intel now, and he's able to use a picture of him to match up. The, the technology, the face technology. And that's that's where you're right. Um, because Emil says, I know you. Because I think this is the part where um, he says, dead or alive, you're coming with me again. One of the two times he says it in the movie. And yeah, man. The amount of... as I mean, it already bothered me while I was watching the movie. But now as you're recounting it, I'm like, the amount of coincidences in this, I don't know, five-minute, ten-minute stretch of the movie is staggering. Because... So he has a nightmare. And thank God that he didn't wake up to kill the lab attendants that were just next door. Because he's it seems like a pretty violent uh, Just like a Wolverine killing Anna Paquin in the first X-Men. Yep. Ah! yep. <laughs> but then he just... It's not like he goes out with a purpose. He just says... Because he tells uh, Nancy Allen, um, well, I got to go because there's crime happening somewhere. So he's just driving around Detroit, which is not a small city. And no. he just happens... To run into one of the guys that killed him. What are the odds of that? Then he happens to use the same line that he used on that guy. Not on purpose. Because he hasn't recognized him yet. <laughs> just He just says, I wish that the movie had established at least that that was the one line that Murphy had. Just like he has the one memory of his son. He had the one line that he thought was cool. And he would just <laughs> say that to every single perp. Uh, and that leads Emil to recognize him. I mean, okay, I'll give the movie that maybe because it was such an extreme situation, Emil would remember that line. Even though this guy looks nothing like Murphy. It's just, it's a robot. <laughs> you know? And and it's kind of like you said with, with Nancy Allen. 
why would you assume that that's Murphy? You know, it's just like a piece of machinery. And then he matches the, I guess, the, the facial recognition thing to this guy's photograph. And that shows that he's part of the gang led by Clarence. And then he recognizes Clarence from his nightmare. <laughs> and then he pulls up Clarence's rap sheet. And the rap sheet has like a gazillion names of people that he's killed. But then he manages to scroll to his own name, to Murphy, which he recognizes because Nancy Allen called him Murphy. And then his he, address pops up. And it's like, man, and that was. And then the- he goes and visits his old home. There has to have been a much simpler, more straightforward way to get us there. <laughs> oh no! Yeah, so he goes to visit his old home, which is now up for sale and has like a a virtual tour it's given. And he walks through the home and he's remembering things. He's becoming self-aware. Again, I call this a Terminator clone. This is basically the origin of, you know, the first Skynet model that became self-aware. Julio, I'm starting to think this is where the name of the video game Detroit Become Human came from. (laughs) Does he become human in this scene? Because he even, like, crushes up the the burnt picture. He, He does gain a new memory. Um, I know I seem like I'm obsessed with that, but I just can't get over how unimaginative the whole thing is. As he's walking through the house, the perfect opportunity to show us new aspects of his life. Because before he got killed, we never even saw his family. But no, you know, he's recycling the same thing. He walks past the living room and then he pictures his son going, hey, dad, can you do that? And then he walks to the bedroom and he pictures his wife going, hey, you, I need to tell you something. Which, by the way, we complete the memory there. And the big thing that she had to tell him was that she loved him. What the hell? <laughs> <laughs> womp, womp. Uh, and then, okay, this is weird. And maybe I missed something when I was writing the notes. He walks past the corner of the house. And there is the charred remains of, I don't know, a bunch of trash, including the remains of this photograph. Isn't the house for sale? Why is there trash in the corner? Especially burnt f- photos of a family that previously lived there. Right. Unless they're just trying to scare people out of it. <laughs> uh, but yeah, then he grabs the photo and it's, I guess, from Halloween. And he finally has a new memory, which is uh, his wife and his kid, you know, getting him to take a picture. Going back to Peter Weller as maybe not the right person for the job. I didn't get a huge change in Robocop's personality, behavior, what have you, from this scene onward. You know, it's like, plot-wise, we know that now he remembers a little more of uh, kind of his past and what led to him becoming Robocop somehow. But personality-wise, he's still kind of the same. He's just basically Peter Weller acting robotic, which is not very interesting. No, not at all. And we forgot to mention, too, it's probably good that that was a memory he formed as opposed to the gas station attendee when he attacked Emil. That guy just died in that explosion for no reason. <laughs> I had forgotten to reference my note on that, but like the civilian casualties in this movie see, it seem to be pretty high, but there's never attention drawn to it. There's no acknowledgement of them. All these, uh, what do you call it? It's like that Arnold movie, collateral damage. It's just like, well, it happens, but the good guys are still coming out on top. Robocop's still there. So he is a man on a mission now. He's going to track down uh, Clarence. He's going to get to the bottom of this and these men that killed him. So he goes to a dance club because it is an 80s movie. He finds one of his other henchmen. Uh, I believe it's uh, Leon in the nightclub. Weiss. And- <laughs> I It took me half the movie to recognize him. But it was like, holy shit, that's Ray Weiss. Um, 
Which, much like with Miguel Ferrer, I couldn't tell you a single movie that Ray Wise has been in, but I know I've seen him plenty of things. Never with this hairdo. His his 80s do is amazing. Yeah, my sister recognized him. She watched it with me from uh, Tim and Eric's Billion Dollar Movie. I was like, yes, I'm sure that's what he prides himself on being known from. <laughs> I think he's in Good Night and Good Luck, the George Clooney movie. Oh. <laughs> Slightly more... Uh, prestige <laughs> yeah whatever the case he doesn't put up much of a fight he tries to pull out his gun and robocop just kind of bitch slaps it away from him and it just lands in the hands of someone dancing and they just continue to dance with this fucking uzi in his hand so why not it's the 80s so he just basically grabs him and drags him by the hair out of the club meanwhile on the other side of town we just need like a, a swipe fade to Miguel Ferra uh, doing copious amounts of blow with two very attractive women way out of his range. And it's the, just the total excess here. He's, I guess he's celebrating that RoboCop's a success. He's just ready to go. He's, he's ready to embrace it as his own and be a TV star and take on the world because of all this. I guess, is he vice president or is he going to be vice president? Because they're talking about the vice presidency. That's he was an executive and he believes with this that he's going to take over... Uh, Dick Jones's spot as the the president, and uh, he believes Dan O'Hurley he's going to promote him. Right, not so fucking fast <laughs> as a, a knock at the door, and it's Kurtwood Smith, who very uh, curtly, no pun intended, says "bitches leave," <laughs> which you know would would become to be his famous catchphrase on that '70s show. <laughs> yes, every time he he went to the basement, he needed to talk to Eric alone. <laughs> But just leave. leave. Uh, he shoots his knees out, and he's like, "I'll give you money. I'll give you whatever you want." You know, Morton's just trying to make it out of this alive. And then Clarence has what I believe to be the first known DVD on uh, captured <laughs> on film, as he puts a disc into. Which I guess that would mean that Morton has the first DVD player known on uh, American film. He just puts this disc into his uh, <laughs> a big entertainment system by his TV stand and it just pops up and it's the dreaded Dick Jones explaining his whole plot to him that he's enlisted the help of Kurtwood Smith and his gang to make sure that they control and have complete power. Pretty disappointed with how Miguel Ferrer goes in this sequence. Not just because he was my favorite character in the movie, but also because he suddenly, he seemed to be a fairly smart guy. He is the guy that came up with the the Robocop concept to begin Mm -hmm. with. And yet... Zero security at his home. Kurtwood Smith just pretends to be a pizza delivery guy, and that's how he gets in. <laughs> it's just very underwhelming, considering this is a guy that knows how dangerous life in the city is. You would think he would have at least like a couple dudes posted at the entrance, or he would have at least a gun under the cushions of his Or like couch. a security camera or something. Right. He has a DVD player, and he doesn't have like you know a security camera at the front. Yeah, it was it was pretty weak, uh, especially because Dick Jones had already threatened him in a bathroom. So, you know, that he meant business. Oh, that's right. I forgot about that. Dick Jones was like taking a dump and then heard that Morton came in because it shows him with like his pants around his ankles sitting on <laughs> yeah. the, the porcelain throne. And then Unless he gets that's up how and- Dick Jones likes to pee. <laughs> <laughs> Buddy, I sit down to pee. Uh, yeah. And he basically tells him, you know. Over my dead body type shit. And, he doesn't uh, even wash his hands. Yeah. That, I mean, just shows how, how much confidence he, he has in his abilities. 
Kurtwood Smith just drops a grenade in his home and walks out. And So long, Bob Morton. It was a fun ride, but your ride to the top was halted dangerously, violently, in a death-inducing fashion, and he's out of the picture. Nobody mourns him, not even his, his buddy. So using Leon to get information on what's going on, Ray-wise, RoboCop tracks down the gang to this cocaine factory and... Basically, there's like a cocaine deal. Doesn't go awry until RoboCop gets there and kills almost everyone in the joint, <laughs> except for uh, the people at um, Clarence's employ. But he just starts beating the absolute shit. You know, we're talking Anderson Silva, Forrest Griffin type beat down here on Kurtwood Smith, who immediately squeals immediately gives up you know the evil plan that he's behind it takes like no he doesn't even get him in like a hammerlock and twist his arm at all he throws him through like a glass partition two of them which i mean it looks like he's got a lot of superficial cuts or surface cuts excuse me uh and he just immediately is like it's not me it's jones jones is who you want he like gets in his face dick jones <laughs> he explains, you know, he works for the OCP and they they own the police. That's who you want. Um, this was pretty disturbing, though, because the future of law enforcement, indeed, this this is not part of his programming. What the fuck? Right. And uh, this I is don't the human like... part. Right. But but still, I mean, they made a big point in, I think, the next scene to show that he cannot fight his programming. So you would think that. His programming would mean that, you know, all he has to do is, you know, the most efficient way to get the job done. And up till now, you can kind of almost understand when he's been brutal, because maybe being brutal is the fastest way to to get the arrest, right? To put the bad guy down. But here, mm -hmm. he has Kurtwood Smith down already. There is no need for him to just beat him up and throw him around and whatever. He's doing that because he wants to, which is troubling on a moral sense, but also on the logical sense, on like on the screenplay sense. It's like if he has this much control over his emotions, if he can actually act human, then why doesn't he act human more often? You know, it doesn't really. It, the reason is just because here Verhoeven wanted to have a cool scene where where our good guy, our hero, beats up the guy that killed him. It just feels fake, basically. Uh, especially once you know, because I don't know about you, Alex, but when I was watching it, I, I remember what follows this. And I was like, oh, yeah, what follows is a scene where he's completely frozen by his programming. Yeah, he, he claims that, you know, he can't kill him. He has to take him in or, you know, whatever. He uh, doesn't Kurtwood Smith say you must uphold the law or he drops some kind of like shame moment on him. <laughs> whatever the case, he takes him to the police. Uh, Clarence, for the time being, is locked up and... You know, he spits blood on the desk of the sergeant, just saying, give me my phone call. RoboCop tries to continue on with his mission uh, to go apprehend Dick Jones. Dick Jones has, like, the little beeper, like the tracker on him. That's, like, the little radar at the, uh, the top right of the screen in Metal Gear Solid. It did doot, 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 doot. He follows the tracker to his office, and RoboCop gets in there, and Dick Jones, like a classic bad guy, is like, I've broken the law. I've been a bad little boy. You better take me in. And he puts his spank wrists me, out. officer. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you better spank me or something. He enacts Directive 4, which ensures that Robocop and machines of that ilk cannot attack you know, the, the heads or the employees of this company, the OCP, uh, and they, you know, in case they ever turned bad. Directive this 4 was not uh, was not working when that dude got massacred earlier in the movie 
I guess he was a temp agent. He didn't actually, he wasn't <laughs> signed on with the company. Uh, this leads to a battle with Ed 209, the ED209. Oh, yeah, because Dick Jones just keeps one of these things in his, in his bathroom, I guess. I guess so. It's kind of like, you know, my dad did a few groundbreakings for his job. So some of like the shovels from the really important ones he has kind of hung, kind of like a, you know, like a plaque. And I assume that's the same thing here. He sometimes rests his coat on it or keeps like a, an aquarium on top of the ED-209. And <laughs> it's just kind of there as office decor until he needs it. And he's like, go get him. It leads to this really anticlimactic battle where it's beating the shit out of RoboCop. Uh, but then RoboCop falls into a stairwell. And this fucking thing can't use the stairs. It's supposed to save humanity and eradicate crime, but it can't use the stairs. Uh, yeah. Earlier when you were talking about uh, RoboCop on the wheelies downhill i instantly thought of this i was like well the movie kind of did that (laughs) except without wheelies it's just that this really dumb android can't go down the stairs it seemed like such a bad joke because uh when it falls it starts crying like a baby the ed-209 which is like what it's kind of like the scene where uh with robocop and the kids like what are we doing here very strange and then robocop is he kind of looks at it and i could have used like no, this is where it happens. He looks at it and he goes, I wouldn't buy that for a dollar. <laughs> and he just kind of smirks and walks down the stairs. And then he walks into the parking garage where he's immediately greeted by the entire, what it seems to be the entire police force of Detroit that are instructed to light him up. You know, they've been told from their commanding officers, which reside with the OCP, that he needs to be destroyed and taken out. So they shoot him a lot. But it doesn't really do anything. He just falls off one of the levels of the parking garage, and then Lewis is there to scoop him up. I, I'm kind of bummed she didn't say, like, come with me if you want to live or something. But we <laughs> take what say, we can get. She didn't say, you're coming with me, dead or alive. Yeah. <laughs> and Murphy goes, ah. <laughs> Lewis, is that you? Um, I was pretty annoyed that not a single bullet hit him in the face because everybody shoots him where he's armored. Everybody knows that he has a weak spot, like his mouth and the bottom of his nose, I guess, is uncovered. Why wouldn't you yeah. aim for that? Why wouldn't you accidentally shoot him there? The one <laughs> spot that's showing like human flesh is yep. like no one's targeting it. Oh, we get one last news clip uh, just to kind of calm everyone down before we get to the climax here. Uh, I can't. Is this where they say like he's on the loose and is dangerous? I can't remember what the last sequence here is. I, my note is. Uh... What's with all these commercials? <laughs> I paid for the version that doesn't have breaks. Yeah, so we get another uh, bit of news interspersed here to kind of set the scene for what's going to happen. And then um, we have Robocop and Lewis. They go to, is it explained specifically why they go to the Botterick Gang's hangout? <laughs> I don't think it's their hangout. I think it just looks like the hangout because they had to recycle sets. They're they're hiding at some sort of factory, and uh, Dick Jones gives the tracker to Clarence after he springs him from from prison. He tells him, "You need to kill Robocop," and that's how they find him because Clarence now has the tracker with the little dot. <laughs> I get it would have been easier if it was just like they just go there and they don't even have the tracker. They just go back to their base and they're like, "Wait, what are you doing here?" Oh, okay, <laughs> kill him. <laughs> but this is. This is where we get uh, Paul Verhoeven's uh, Wes Anderson scene as RoboCop's completely self-aware at this point of everything that's going on. And he takes off the covering of his head and he looks in the mirror and he says, I still have some healing to do. 
I you know I had to do that. I had to go I, there. I I knew it was coming, and I laughed <laughs> as I watched because it's just such a it's such an artsy shot <laughs> because he's looking. We have like an over the shoulder shot of RoboCop, and then in like a broken mirror. Yep, Nancy Allen holds up a broken mirror to him, and you just see his his face and. This might be the most emoting that Peter Weller does in the entire movie, and it's barely there. And then he just kind of, he gets mopey. And it's like, I don't really care for Robocop to begin with, but mopey Robocop is even worse. He just kind of hunches down, and he's like, leave me alone. <laughs> it's like, what? Yeah, he kind of like sends her coming. He's like, don't touch me. Yeah. <laughs> he finally remembered that it's her fault that he's dead. So as the news before the last act of the movie uh, indicated, the uh, police force is going on strike just due to the absolute chaos that the city's in. So the the night here, the when night falls, it just becomes a pure scene of riots in downtown Detroit, which leads to the Boderick gang getting back together. The gang's back together, and now with the help of um, their financial backing by Dick Jones, they have a military-grade weaponry. Uh, just a cachet of it to take out RoboCop to battle with him. And this does lead to the final showdown back at the the junkyard at their hideout. They have what appears to be just like a comically oversized. It looks like a gun you would use in an NES game where like it's three <laughs> times bigger than the character itself. It's just, it's not even a sniper rifle. It looks like it, but it shoots like a cannon. It's <laughs> deliciously 80s. Yeah. Uh, I was really disappointed that. One, the police force strike arrived so late in the movie. And two, that we never really got any resolution. Because to me, this is the most interesting part of the movie. I don't give a shit about the the robotic police officer. Just the idea that a city could get so bad, that crime could get so bad in the city, that the entire police force is like, nope, not anymore. I wish, really, that they had at least given us what their demands were. Like, you know, usually if you're going to strike, you, you're you going to strike until... You outline the reason. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, all we get is, at some point, one of the cops tells the, the sergeant, he's like, we lost five guys yesterday. This can't go on. Okay, so what are you asking for? Less crime? Well, that's your job. <laughs> It's not gonna get better if if you if you go on strike. Are you asking for for better weapons, body armor, a dental plan, more Robocops? I mean, <laughs> give me something. <laughs> but then, of course, it, it makes sense that they wouldn't give us the, the the demands because they never plan on exploring that plot line. You know, it's like not to get too far ahead, but the movie ends, and as far as we know, the police are still on strike. Before we can get to that conclusion, though, we do have the final showdown between RoboCop. And the uh, Boderick gang, Bodicker. I think I said Boderick a few times. <laughs> Bodicker. That just sounds so un- unnatural. Oh, dude, he does. He he starts off. He starts off by with the tried and true. Uh, let's throw a can around the corner so that they shoot that way. Yes. Yes. <laughs> but then automatically defeats the purpose of you know he throws the the, the can and they all shoot towards the can blow up a wall or whatever and then robocop announces himself <laughs> telling them exactly where he is <laughs> because looking for me it's preposterous everyone ends up getting picked off in the uh Boddicker gang and uh, most memorably has to be emil who tries to run over robocop uh but robocop just kind of sidesteps i'm like and he drives into a giant vat labeled toxic waste 
which I God bless. And he is immediately like transformed into this grotesque monster, which I is honestly in the day the age of memes, I think one of the most recognizable images from this movie. Um, yeah, I, I just kept thinking if this had happened on the MCU, he would have gained superpowers. But because it's in the, the Verhoeven universe, he just turns into a pile of goo. He's melting. He's yeah, like wailing. Uh, and eventually he's inadvertently run over by his boss, uh, Clarence, <laughs> and he just explodes like a, a bag of fucking viscera and soy sauce. Uh, Ray Weiss runs away to come back later, and then uh, Robocop is going against uh, Clarence. Yeah, they're like and, in the scrapyard. Yeah. Well, first Clarence shoots Lewis. Who Lewis is just a terrible cop. She, Awful. She, yeah. She basically is like, hey, shoot me, and then Clarence shoots her. It, it's just so weird. Robocop makes it look like he's ready to kill Clarence, but takes so long to do it, because once again, sense of urgency is not a thing for for Robocop. He takes so long that Ray Wise sneaks up on him and drops like a whole bunch of uh, junk. Scrap metal. Yeah, scrap metal. It knocks him down. Uh, and then Ray Wise goes, I did it! I did it! And in the one good thing that Nancy Allen does in this movie, she grabs a rocket launcher or something and blows... One of the big guns that they have. Yeah. <laughs> Just completely blows up the entire like facility that he's operating. Overkill. This is where, yeah, Kurtwood Smith actually calls him Robocop. He says, like, die, Robocop, or goodbye, Robocop, and uh, stabs, like, a metal spear through him. And I, he gets too close. He's too close, man. And then we have, like, the dude in uh, Smoke and Aces. Robocop has that blade that comes up, Wolverine style, mm-hmm. and just stabs him in the throat. And Kurtwood Smith just spawns a gusher and is bleeding just everywhere to the point where he only has seconds to live with how much blood he loses. And that <laughs> turns out to be the case as he dies very quickly. Um, I don't understand the... Maybe I misunderstood. I thought that the only human, sort of human part of Robocop was his head, right? Because early when they're when they're building him, there's a little bit of dialogue where uh, one of the scientists says, hey, we managed to save the left arm. And then Miguel Ferrer is like, uh, no, I want him to be all robot. So lose the arm. So he's, at least from my understanding, he's just a machine mm-hmm. with a human head mm-hmm. surrounded by more machinery. So why does he scream when Kurtwood Smith stabs him in what looks like like it would be his heart because he doesn't have a heart right it, yeah, it, i don't know he, he hasn't like screamed Matrix at all stuff. through the entire movie i mean he's been shot multiple times he didn't scream he didn't seem to feel pain when he was battling the ed 209 uh, it just feels like he screamed for a dramatic purpose only in this final battle well as we've already discussed peter weller didn't really understand what kind of movie he was in from the jump so <laughs> He felt it's, that once once he removed the helmet, he was human. Exactly. And it, it's also very possible that he wasn't supposed to scream, but they only got one take at that shot, <laughs> and that was that. They had no choice. Kurt with Smith just went in a little too deep with the prop. <laughs> Here you go. <laughs> Robocop, after wiping out the Boddicker gang, uh, heads back to OCP headquarters, storms into another one of their board meetings where... Uh, Presumably, Dan O'Hurley, he's wondering how they can kill all the children of Detroit. And <laughs> RoboCop explains that, hey, uh, Dick Jones is uh, wanted for murder. He 
had this whole plan and they're like, well, those are some pretty serious accusations. How do you confirm that? And he hooks himself into the TV like it's a goddamn USB drive trying to show someone like some surveillance footage. And that's what he does. He shows Dick Jones confessing to the murder of Bob Morton just on camera. This guy built this machine. He's aware of all of its inner workings and didn't remember that it has like a record feature. <laughs> Couldn't help himself. It's like, it's the 80s. I'm a villain. I have to deliver a monologue explaining my evil plan. So naturally, with his back against the wall, Dick Jones grabs the uh, chief executive of the OCP and you know puts a gun to his head, says, I'm going to kill him. I'm going to kill him. Uh, this is where RoboCop can't intervene because it's, you know, directive four. Uh, he can't shoot Jones. Brilliantly, this is where the old man decrees, you're fired to Dick Jones, which immediately lifts like the the restraint. Just hearing that lifts the software that blocks RoboCop from enacting, and he shoots Dick Jones, knocks him out the window, and Dick Jones, or a very weird like <laughs> animatronic claymation version of him, falls to his death. Yeah, I couldn't tell if it was Dick Jones or if it was another ED-209. <laughs> just a shitty special effect the old man is the smartest guy in the movie easily he, easily i mean he he barely had time to grasp what was going on and yet he devised the perfect strategy to save his ass i guess that's why he's the boss he's the only one that can think on his feet that's why he didn't end up dead in the movie <laughs> but he compliments robocop on his shooting and he asks what's your name he, like he asks it like very just kind of like playfully and you know father son type or you know like you're speaking to a neighbor down the street this guy's a machine like what's your name and he takes a second and peter weller says murphy and then robocop <laughs> you know you're right about the old man the way he addresses robocop because when he first walks into the room he just goes how can i help you officer it's like fucking RoboCop is covered in blood. His helmet is missing. <laughs> For all he knows, RoboCop has just lost it, and he's about to shoot everybody. The old man can keep his cool. It's clear, like the, this movie goes out of its way to outline that that dude's been through some shit. Like we talked about, he was mildly inconvenienced twice by someone being brutally murdered in a board meeting of his. So <laughs> he's presumably been through it all, and now we have been through it all with RoboCop. We gotta go clean off the blood of my shirt, and then we can go to real talk. Let's do. I had to kill Bob Morton because he made a mistake. Now it's time to erase that mistake. I want a chopper now. We will walk to the roof very calmly. I will board the chopper with my hostage. Anybody tries to stop me? The old geezer gets it. Dick, you're fired! Thank you. Nice shooting, son. What's your name? Murphy. All right. I am recording for, oh, God, patron pitch, PP. Is that what we, what we settled on? As has become tradition as we lead into uh, Real Talk, we have our little 
plug for our Patreon, where any and all of you, if you haven't already, can go to sign up to get some additional Contrarians material. Julio, what's the latest to be added to our Patreon page? Uh, well, coming up next, <laughs> uh, in addition to all the the stuff that doesn't make it into this episode, anything from our cutting room floor. We'll also have our extended plugs section, which will also feature our top five Coen Brothers movies because uh, somebody requested it uh, on the Patreon page. I think it's Paul from uh, Filmbusters. And that sounded like a fun thing to do. I, I gave you a heads up, Alex. I'm assuming you, you have your list ready. Yeah, we'll be good to go. Awesome. Uh, is there anything else that you're plugging during the extended plugs? No. After discussing the saga of my Pandora box on our last uh, Patreon exclusive, uh, everyone knows it's kind of been occupying my time recently. So this uh, Cohen Top 5 will be a, a nice uh, reprieve and a nice little uh, discussion for our Patreon exclusive. I'm sure by the next episode I'll have something for us to discuss, but we'll keep it uh, classy with the Coens on, on this uh, Patreon exclusive. I can't wait to, like, on our next extended plugs where you're just telling us about all the games that you finished <laughs> since this recording. Uh, on my end, besides the the Coens top five, I did watch another cool documentary. I'm gonna I'm gonna keep throwing them at you, Alex, and at our patrons, just uh, because I think that they. They could use more uh, more recognition. This one is The Painter and the Thief, available on Hulu. It's about a, a painter and the relationship she develops with the guy that steals one of her paintings. It's really weird. It's one of those movies where you're like, how did they know to shoot this? You know, like, that always blows my mind when I watch a documentary. Yeah. And you can tell that it was clearly they did not know that things are going to pan out the way they do. So they just mm -hmm. lucked out. They just happened to be shooting when this really weird thing happened. And now it, the movie is about it. But but before, you know, it's like, I don't know, where they were just making a documentary about the painter and then all this other stuff happened. I don't know. But it's, it's really, really interesting. And uh, I'll talk about it in more detail during the extended plugs version. Also, at some point in February, uh, our friend Ben, who's on the GAT tier, which means that he gets to pick uh, what exclusive patron episode we do. He finally gave us his choice, and we're going to be doing End of Days, the Arnold Schwarzenegger 1999 turn of the millennium thriller, supernatural Disaster. thriller. <laughs> Apocalyptic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Apocalyptic thriller. That sounds about right. I, I've i seen it, but it was, you know, back in 99 when it came out. Have you seen it, Alex? I have not. The only thing I remember from it was that Arnold was on SmackDown to promote it, and he bitch-slapped Triple H on TV, and it was glorious. <laughs> well, I, you know, I was going to say I don't think Triple H makes a cameo in the movie, but I wouldn't have known what he looked like back then, so I don't know. Uh, but anyway, that's going to happen at some point in February uh, with our Patreon exclusives. The schedule is a little loser. But yeah, keep an eye out for that. Keep an ear out for that. If you're interested in any of the extra content we're putting out over on the Patreon, just go to patreon.com slash Prime. There's four tiers, $1, $3, $5, $10. Or if, if you want to be a little fancy, it's Travolti's, Winoni's, Embry's, Gads. And each tier has its own set of rewards. It's a lot of fun. For less than a McDouble, you can get some exclusive content from the Contrarians. Any and all tiers, we welcome y'all. Have a great time on there. And of course, if there's if you're a patron and there's more, if you guys have ideas of things that you want to hear from us or, you know, pitch us things to talk about, like top five Coen Brothers movies, 
that's what y'all are paying for, so don't hesitate to do so. Within reason, of course. I made a lot of audacious claims in the last episode. Again, I'm, I'm not looking for anyone to challenge us and make us watch misery porn or anything like that. But <laughs> Hurl us your ideas. We'll uh, we'll discuss it. We'll throw it in the dryer and see what comes of it. Now, before we head into RT, like we did last episode, uh, patron of the show, Gerald Morris, he's doing a, a little award show over on his uh, podcast on Two Peas on a Pod and uh, have a promo for it. The results for this awards show come out on March 15th. So you have until then to uh, put in your votes and uh, you should because that's the whole point, that he wants everybody in the community to participate. So uh, here's the promo. Hello, listeners. I want to talk to you for one second real quick about the Golden P Movie Awards, referred to lovingly as the Golden Peas. Every year, I take the opportunity to celebrate the year in film, and 2020 is no different. Please head over to twopeasonapod.com slash golden peas and find all of the nominees as well as links to a ballot that you can use to vote voting is open from january 29th until march 1st of 2021 we feature all of the main categories that you will find at shows like the golden globes and the oscars but we poll the film and twitter and podcast community to get those nominees and as you know they are chosen by you so please cast a ballot head over once again, it's two peas on a pod.com slash golden peas. We love movies and we love celebrating movies. And we hope you come to the party this year. All right, so go vote uh, for the golden peas. I will be honest, I haven't done it yet. And that's because I still have a bunch of movies from 2020 that I need to watch. But it's good to know that I have about a month to take care of it. Um, and now we can go into real talk, Alex Mattis. Perfect. Real talk for RoboCop, 90% on Rotten Tomatoes, a movie released uh, for a third time, I believe it's what we mentioned, July 17th of 1987, distributed by Orion Pictures, budget of $13 million with a box office return of a little over 50. Again, directed by Paul Verhoeven, written by Edward Neumeyer and Michael Miner. Uh, old Verhoeven, that was, uh, as one of the reviews you read mentioned, he kind of used that as a springboard after every director in Hollywood turned down doing it just because it seemed so stupid on paper. Um, <laughs> he which, got it. He's like, yeah. it's because you guys are stupid. <laughs> uh, presented in Detroit, but shot in Dallas. There was a couple parts in this movie where I was like, wait a minute. So after the movie, when I was reading up on it, I, my initial thoughts and questions were confirmed. When it was Dallas, because like Reunion Towers in one shot. And I, I know, granted, I've spent a lot more time in Dallas than you have, Julio, but some of it looked uh, really familiar. And that's where it was filmed. Of course, they filmed it in the summer. Uh, so, of course, Peter Weller was on the brink of heat stroke every day. That uh, explains his that performance. <laughs> yeah. Eventually, I read they did build an air conditioner into the suit. I'm just picturing him just like sitting there, you know nude under all that just with this cold air reverberating around him pretty sure that now now with that context i think that the scene where he just asks uh, nancy allen to leave him alone that's not in the script that's just peter Wheeler saying he's sweating his ass off yeah he doesn't want any human contact right now he's so hot let me die stroke <laughs> i mean like with any era defining sci-fi action movie 
there's so many different reads on the movie, so many different trivia facts, so many, mm-hmm. well, this was supposed to happen, and uh, did you know, that type of thing. So it's uh, a cornucopia of knowledge that surrounds this movie that's unlike some of our others where I really like to bring a lot of that to the table. I was more interested just in the discussion overall of Robocop that we were going to have. So it's not going to be as uh, trivia heavy or research heavy as a lot of our episodes are. So I apologize for that. I just feel like this franchise merits a bit of a different discussion. Uh, I do know I have in front of me right here. I should say it was submitted uh, 12 times before it finally got an R rating just due to the excessive violence in it. I thought you were going to say it was submitted to the Academy Awards <laughs> for your consideration. Kurt it was nominated Smith. for two Oscars. Well, uh, yeah, but I, let me guess. Special effects and uh, sound mixing? I think that's exactly right, if I read that correctly earlier. But yeah, it's not like uh, Nancy Allen, for your consideration, <laughs> Best Supporting Actress. But anyway, Julio, it is 90%. So before we get into the the nuts and bolts of this... What were the detractors saying about this? Okay, uh, just very few negative reviews on Rotten Tomatoes. So I got three negative quotes, three green splotches, starting with Walter Goodman from the New York Times, who says, Whatever may have been in the minds of the writers, Edward Neumeyer and Michael Miner, has more trouble emerging from Mr. Verhoeven's zizzling battles than poor Murphy does from his robosuit. Just weird, because I don't think that Murphy ever emerges from the robosuit. He no. is the RoboSuit. <laughs> Dave Kerr from the Chicago Tribune says, RoboCop relies for most of its impact, and more disturbingly, for much of its comedy, on an absurd exaggeration of physical force. I think that's the mm. point, Dave. Yeah, that's... It's one of the, those memes of, like, the point is just circling around his head. Like, it's, <laughs> uh, it's, it's evading you, my friend. Uh, and finally, David Sterrett from Christian Science Monitor says, The story amounts to a celebration of brute force in a crudely etched law and order context. He doesn't quite miss it the way that Dave Kerr missed it. Uh, and I can almost sort of see his point. But, but I don't know. I don't think that the movie celebrates violence necessarily. But I think it toes the line in a way that I wouldn't blame someone for thinking it just goes too far. What do you think, Alex? Oh, yeah, it's definitely hyper-violent. I don't... Celebrates is a bit dramatic of a word. I think it's just that's the movie. It's like the idea was to make a a big, loud action movie. And I think the violence is some... You could somewhat justify it with the idea of, like, the... Again, the futuristic dystopian hellscape that it portrays. Maybe weapons are more powerful and actually blow people up like that, you know? Um, and it serves a purpose. I think it's, yeah, it's absolutely outlandish. Like that we talked about in the first portion. He gets shot in the head and then they're like, you're going to make it, son. You're going to make it. I, I don't know. I, I did not remember it being this violent. I know that much. And it's like, it's considerably more violent than its contemporaries like Terminator I think Terminator has it beat in the department of like bad language. No, this has pretty bad language too. I would say Terminator has definitely has it beat in the realm of sex scenes and whatnot. And Terminator is violent. Don't get me wrong, but this is almost to a point like comedically. So yeah, I'm not going to lie. You kind of blew my mind in Contrarian's Corner when you, I don't know how serious you were, but when you said that 
that this was Verhoeven's vision of what America would like. Because that hadn't really occurred to me, not mm-hmm. with those words. But once you got it in my head, I was like, man, this movie is actually better than I thought. And I already thought it was pretty good. But if that were the case, if this is uh, Paul Verhoeven sneaking in a vicious commentary on America's obsession with violence in entertainment, while at the same time delivering an entertaining movie <laughs> that's full of violence, that is, you know, next level genius. <laughs> is that the case, though? And does it matter? <laughs> I guess, you know, even if Verhoeven didn't intend it to be this kind of critique on how we consume violence in our movies, the final product, when you watch it now, and if you watch it with those lenses, it's like, it works, right? I was like, mm-hmm. why is it okay for Robocop to just maim all these criminals? Uh, you know, why do we pump our fists when he's doing this? But we're horrified when the same criminals, like, apply the same violence to innocence. And yeah, of course, there's innocence and they're bad guys. But it's still, at some point, shouldn't you be horrified by just how over-the-top Robocop is it enforcing the law should we be more scared about the fact that there's just this killing machine walking down the streets? Is it just that as audiences, we're just desensitized to the idea that this could be a bad thing? Is it just that we don't even care about the kind of the moral implications? How many people watch Robocop and they're like, man, that's pretty horrible what they did to that guy versus how many people watch Robocop and they're like, man, that's fucking awesome. He like shot everybody in that factory. It absolutely, um, along with Terminator and then in a more general sense of violence, uh, Freddy and Jason, it just epitomizes that mid to late 80s celebration of action and excess. I, I would be more more comfortable saying that Friday the 13th and Nightmare on Elm Street, those movies celebrate violence uh, more than this does, but... Whatever the case, you know, much like this, video games, uh, toys, um, comics, all these aspects of these movies. And I I think that's why I have such a weird thought of RoboCop in my head. Because with Terminator, I always knew Terminator was an R-rated movie. Because even when I saw it as a little kid, I always knew it was because my parents were letting me see it. And it feels like RoboCop was just so accessible. And it, granted, this would be like TV edits of it and stuff. And uh, But like the cartoon and the video games and the comic books, like I said, and the toys. It, it's so funny to watch the first movie here and just how ungodly violent and vulgar like the dialogue and the action is in the movie. Um, but like I said, that wasn't exclusive to this. That's just part of the, the 80s pop culture scene was... I think people in society at that point were way more accepting of this just being fun as -hmm. opposed to Helen Lovejoy won't someone think of the children type thing. And because we sure as shit didn't have much of that in the late 90s and today, the whole slashers marketed towards kids. And, you know, I have made the argument that Marvel movies and a lot of today's stuff that's marketed towards youths are very violent, but they're definitely not Peter Weller's limbs and chunks of his body <laughs> flying off violent. Uh, I think it it may be more so than any of those that I mentioned, uh, be it 
Terminator, Predator, you know, Freddy, Jason, that type of stuff. It epitomizes the late 80s pop culture scene because it's such a highly celebrated movie also. Like, people view it as, like, this landmark achievement in action filmmaking. It was kind of like my mind was all over the place watching it earlier because I haven't watched this in years. Mm -hmm. And I think there is something to... I don't know. I, I called it a Terminator clone earlier. I don't think I actually believe that. But it is like that just omnipotent force coming in. I guess they kind of flipped the script with this one where Robocop's the good guy, whereas the Terminator's the bad guy. But it's so silly that it could have only succeeded to this level in its time. I was going to ask if you thought that you could... I mean, they did make a Robocop movie in 2014. and uh, Yes, but that's because they refused to try anything new. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, it's and that's because, and I'm not going to pin that on the film studios, as we've discussed, that's because people don't want to give new things a chance. And so it's just like, eh, let's do RoboCop. Yeah, but eh, also, but like, I don't didn't think... they try to like modernize it and make it sleek? Yeah, yeah, which I actually I like that part. I think that's the, I, I've seen it and I don't remember anything about it other than Michael Keaton is in it and, uh, and he is skinny. It's like a skinny RoboCop, which to me aesthetically makes sense like it's like if you can do it then why wouldn't you make a sleeker model instead of the kind of tank that you have in robocop one but i from what i remember it might even be pg-13 <laughs> i don't remember being shocked by the violence in it but to me that would be the the whole point of remaking robocop would be to see if you can get away with that kind of violence in this day and age or would the audiences automatically like turn away from it you know, it's like you can watch it now. And you're like, oh well, it's the '80s, so I can I can take that violence. Kind of like, what's this? Like the third or fourth episode in a very short span of time where I've said like, oh well, you can get away with a lot when you can just say, oh well, it was the '80s, right? So in this case, like, yeah. oh well, that violence is over the top, but it was the '80s, so I'll take it. Could you like do something like that with a movie now? Would it have the success that RoboCop did in the '80s? I don't know. Uh, it's it's weird because I. I relate to what you're saying where I was kind of all over the place while I was watching the movie uh, because I was trying to do so many things at once. I was trying to make fun of it on my notes and kind of like point out like really silly things while also trying to figure out why I was enjoying it so much and if I was only enjoying it on a superficial level because it's pretty cool to just see Robocop like shooting people, <laughs> right? But Oh, yeah. I, I But I was... Struggling to figure out if there was more to it. I I had heard some provocative ideas about Robocop regarding law enforcement today, but I wasn't really seeing much of a correlation. Like, you know what I mean? Like it's yeah, the movie depicts kind of like a militarized police officer. And yeah, okay, I can see how that in 2021, where there's all these conversations debates about defunding the police you know where that would be somewhat relevant but i don't think that it's in this specific angle i don't think it's intentionally relevant because i don't think it digs into that angle that much you know what i mean like it's yeah. not like in the in, in the 80s paul verhoeven and the two screenwriters said you know if we keep going down this path we're going to get to a point where the police are just an army and they're going to end up doing as much damage as as the bad guys I don't think that the movie really goes in that direction. No. So Yeah, it's this movie is what we joked about speed being the death rattle of. This movie was dudes just doing blow and like and then 
He's going to go to a gas station and like the gas line's going to get severed and then the whole gas station's going to blow up. It doesn't celebrate violence, it celebrates excess is what I would say. Yeah, isn't it fun <laughs> to just see all this all this blood and all these explosions? Uh have you seen Starship Troopers? Just another Yeah, it's Verhoeven that joint. movie's too much for me. I was looking over uh Verhoeven's filmography while you were speaking there and thinking of yeah, Total Recall, Basic Instinct, We'll Get to Showgirls, Starship Troopers was just too much. I think it has to do with two bugs kind of make my skin crawl. Oh. So, yeah, it's, there was that. And also, like, it, talk about hyperviolence. Like, the dude's head gets sucked out by that one uh, insect. It was pretty wild. Hollow Man, more like No Man. <laughs> oh, no, man. <laughs> oh, no, man. <laughs> I it's just this movie is such a perfect storm but it also so much and I I know people would argue with me about this it obviously made its dent it has its place in film history it's criterion release not to sound overly pretentious but I know that does that speaks to it it speaks to that there's a subsect of people in the film community that view this movie as and not just because it has a criterion release, but just because of the acclaim and the accolades that it has. People view this as, you know, one of those top 500 movies. I read that that's like in several top 500 movies of all time lists. People think that it has its place in the history of American cinema. I can also tell you that through a modern lens and people in our age bracket, so much of this movie's legacy rests on the nostalgia surrounding it. I think that's a big part of it why it's still so celebrated today. There's plenty of movies from 1987 that are great that, you know, don't get talked about nearly as much as RoboCop, but that's because they just weren't as big as loud and don't have the uh, today's people, the generation from them don't have the sentimental attachment to it that they do with this. But like, just for me, like I said, I was two months old when this came out, but still RoboCop had like, it was around during my childhood. He was uh, ubiquitous with Terminator, Predator, Freddie, Jason, all the other big names of the, the big characters of that day, like the Crypt Keeper. I'm just thinking of all these people that I saw on TV regularly, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. the X-Men, that type of thing. And just like looking at the poster right now with that red sheen to it, that's, you know, I talked about when we did our Terminator arc, uh, like being able to be somewhere, seeing a movie poster with that Terminator 2 Judgment Day poster. And the RoboCop poster is one, too, that like I can see myself in the video store holding the VHS or like one of the stores that had the poster for it hanging up. Just tripping over my words here to say that I get it. I get why it has its legacy that it does. The difference with it is, is I don't watch this like... I. The Terminator is one of my favorite movies ever. That movie, I feel, is just so amazing from start to finish. This movie, cover to cover, is just fun. Mm-hmm. But I wouldn't say that, in my opinion, it's a landmark film, which I know may be controversial to some, but that it just doesn't do the same things for me that some of these other celebrated movies of that time do. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I wouldn't, especially when you put it shoulder to shoulder with Terminator, then yeah, it's, it's going to fall short. <laughs> but uh, yes, I don't have an emotional response to the story, which to me is always kind of the the mark that you have to clear if you want to get to just to the Hall of Fame, or at least to have a shot at the Hall of Fame uh, for me, right? Yeah. It's it, I just, it's cool and it's entertaining, but I don't know that I care that much for Murphy 
as a character. Uh, mm-hmm. And maybe some of it is on Peter Weller's performance. Now that we're on Real Talk, I can say that I don't think he's bad, but I also don't think he's terribly charismatic. And I don't know if he is, if that was just the direction, if if that was intentionally Verhoeven given as kind of like a bland protagonist that only becomes kind of exceptional once he's been destroyed and rebuilt as a machine. Or, or if it's just that, you know, Peter Weller didn't really pull off giving us like a character that I that I truly feel sorry for. And it's not that I don't feel sorry when he's, you know, walking around the empty house and kind of remembering his life. But I don't know that there's much follow through on in that aspect. You know, so I think it's a it's a no. mix of the of the performance not being particularly stirring alongside the story not really caring much about the emotional side of Murphy's journey. Really, the story is about it feels, getting the bad guys. I was just, yeah, it took the words out of my mouth. It really feels like the movie, the tone it takes and the feeling it wants you to have is, I really want Murphy to kill Kurt Woodsmith. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah it's, it, a, it, a, there was a quote that The was, rest of that shit is just thrown in there for filler. It's like, you know, putting <laughs> <laughs> chocolate sauce on your ice cream. It's like, oh, yeah, he's got a wife and kids. But <laughs> dig a little deeper and get down to the ice cream. Yeah, it's like, so what happened to his, to his wife and kids? Oh, she moved on. All right, next scene. <laughs> it's so great, yeah. The, the dialogue, like the exposition is, what happened to my wife and son? Well, you died, and they had to move on. <laughs> yeah, this movie knows exactly what its priorities are, and it's not to explore in any with any depth the relationship of Murphy and his family. Uh, and that... And yeah, just to finish that thought there, and that is admirable. That is something we talk about almost, it seems like, every other episode on this podcast is movies that try to go outside of what they are or try to do more than they really should. At no point does this movie really try to do more than it wants to. It introduces his wife and kid just kind of for the emotional resonance, but exactly what we just talked about. The, they explain it away in two lines of dialogue. It's like, this movie isn't about that. The movie's about him right now with this big gun about to kill these bad guys. And the only other relationship of note, which would be between him and uh, Nancy Allen, between Murphy and Lewis, that doesn't really... It's, it's not that it's interested in this, but it's kind of a big deal that... She was a person that it's not that she got him killed, but she was there, right? She 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 was yeah. a participant in what happened. And it's not just that she doesn't show remorse because okay, maybe you have this character as somebody who really doesn't feel guilty about it, but then she she has she still has a connection with him. They make a point to have him have her rescue him, and it's just the two of them against the bad guys at the end. But once again, there's really nothing to their relationship other than the functional, well, I'm going to get you stuff. I'm going to get you the weapons and we're going to exchange exposition and I'm going to help you in the shootout. But there's not like a, a big connection. Their their big moment at the end is uh, she's been shot and she goes, Murphy, I'm a mess. Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, don't worry, they'll fix you. They do that. And I kind of feel like that could have built into something else, you know, or even if <laughs> Murphy's response would have been like, I know you got me killed. <laughs> that would have been like, oh, he's human. He remembers. I don't know. It it just, yeah, definitely not what the movie is interested in. Uh, but uh, I asked you about Starship Troopers earlier because I've only seen it the once in full. I've seen scenes here and there later. But I know that the first time I watched it, I was clearly too young for it. I I didn't like it, 
but it completely went over my head that it was meant to be satire. And uh, mm. having watched it since, like, you know, what I've seen of it, I was like, wow, yeah, I was I was too young for it. Because I, I think that you can't miss it now if you watch it as an adult. I mean, you think Robocop is over the top. Th- that is over the top. You know, I think that that movie is trying to say something about about the U.S. and about, you know, how we treat foreign countries, foreign forces, and how we demonize the the foreign. It's a lot, like, you know, and I couldn't really elaborate without rewatching it. But I know, like, even without rewatching, I can sense that, oh, yeah, that makes sense. You know, it's it's so over the top because it very clearly is making fun of the way we are and entertaining while also trying to make a point. Uh, I don't feel... I saw some reviews that were calling RoboCop satire, but I don't feel that it ever reaches that level. And it might be that it's just the satire is going over my head. I mean, clearly, yeah, you have the the commercials uh, that are really yeah. ridiculous, and all the news reports that they kind of like mention, throw away like really big things in the background, like the fact that there was a a satellite that malfunctioned and shot lasers all over the United States, and two ex presidents are dead now, and I don't know what else, you know, that kind of stuff. I kind of feel like. That level of, of uh, not even comedy, but, you know, that level of storytelling, that's what Starship Troopers is pitched at the entire time. And so that's why, to me, it's easier to perceive Starship Troopers as as trying to say something, whereas like with Robocop, not so much. Uh, and I don't know if maybe Robocop would make more of an impression. I mean, I like the movie a lot, but if it made more of an impression, if it was really just going that extra mile in... Uh, committing not just to the ultra violence and the just isn't it fun to have all this success and aren't you guys enjoying it but uh committing i guess to holding the mirror to uh, to its audience a little more uh, i think that my impression right now is that we as like a modern audience in 2021 are the ones holding the mirror not the movie mm-hmm. and that's still cool but not as cool as if the movie was doing it to begin with and i could be wrong i look forward to just a lot of people telling me that I got RoboCop wrong and I'm missing the the nuances of its satire <laughs> uh, because it's just not as marked as... It's not as apparent as something like Starship Troopers and potentially Showgirls <laughs> down the line. <laughs> yeah, I'd be open to that too. Like, I agree with you. I don't... From my read of it, I don't view it as satire. I view it as an expertly made action movie. Um, but I think that's kind of where it ends. I, I, I don't know. That... I was going to say with Starship Troopers, yeah, I watched it and kind of got what it was going for. It just still did nothing for me. With this, like I like I said, I think this is an awesome action movie that tries to create its own universe that it exists in. And you know I'm always a big fan of that when something's like just complete the entire movie is filled with, with its own self-referential canon. So I was a, a big fan of that. And um, yeah, I think it's just fun. I, I know a lot of people take this movie. We said this movie pretty seriously, so I don't mean to offend with using the word fun, but um, that's from where I sit. How I've always felt about it. It's good fun. Uh, did you ever watch the sequels? I think you said no, right? Uh, when I was younger, like on TV, like I remember some stuff from them. I might have rented them when I was like a teenager or something. But I, I definitely want to go back and revisit them. But yeah, not enough for me to have retained anything. And yeah, like we said, this movie was a movie that had been passed on, a script that had been passed on by countless people in Hollywood before it finally landed, only to become a multi-million dollar franchise with two sequels and a remake. Looks like, what is there? 
totaling a gross of nearly four hundred million dollars. So there you go. Uh, they never recouped the critical success of the first one, though, as <laughs> RoboCop Two came in at thirty percent, RoboCop Three six percent, and the twenty fourteen remake at forty eight percent. Might have to circle back to this at some point and do the uh, two and three. Yeah, but- I, I definitely want to watch them uh, now that I, you know, I saw they were available and. I've seen the second one, never saw the third one. I've played all the video games from that time, uh, which, like we mentioned earlier, are probably not the same video games that you played. But actually, before we get to the video games, Alex, uh, how do you feel? Now that we're not in Contreras Corner, Miguel Ferrer, do you love him as much as I do? Or you're just like, hey. yeah, it was really, <laughs> no, it was, I, I do. It was really bothering me in the first portion. I can't put my finger on what I know him from. But yeah, I mean, he... You know, his character's ambitious and his performance was ambitious. He was just fully epitomizing the excess of his character and the excess of the time period that they were in. And I, yeah, I thought it was great. I remember being bummed when he died uh, the first time I watched the movie, even though he is he's kind of an asshole. I mean, he, he is an asshole. It's not like he cares about anybody. He's not a good guy. Uh, but I guess he's not as bad as Dick Jones or not as sinister as Dick Jones. <laughs> there you go. Red. Now that we're in Contreras Corner, curved with Smith. Yeah, Red. Uh, it's so hard to not see him as Red Foreman, and I try and I try, <laughs> and he does a really good job in this. I mean, a role like Red is something that defines you for your career, even retroactively. But he's such a shithead in this, like his dialogue <laughs> and the way he talks to women, and he's just a great bad guy. And you are very happy to see him get his at the end. I mean, that another thing the movie achieves that I was so much more satisfied when he got it than Dick Jones. Like the, yep. that just kind of seemed like the the uh, the post credit scene when Dick Jones got killed. So yeah, he's such an asshole, and like he's got that smarmy smile, and it's he's great. He's got the swagger. But I'm having a hard time talking now because I'm trying to like reinterpret this movie as if it were satire through my head. Like just like what what's supposed to be satirical about it? I'm gonna have to fucking rewatch this movie again. Damn it! Me too. It's- after you what you said, I, I want to rewatch it with the idea that Verhoeven was just making fun of of America and what America likes in action movies. It's already because of this discussion we're having here. It's I, I it's already more than I give it credit for. <laughs> we're like we're thinking of all these different uh, potential takes on it. Um, it did not win any Academy Awards. It was nominated for Best Film Editing and Best Sound. Predator was nominated for Best Visual Effects. Quite a It did year. not win. Yeah, it did not win Best Picture. That went to The Last Emperor. Boo. And <laughs> Art House bullshit. <laughs> Nancy Allen did not take home the Best Actress Award. That went to Cher for Moonstruck. Despite taking... So. Uh, a full-page ad in Variety. Verhoeven spared no cost. The, the parties were grand. <laughs> okay, so so tell me about your, your RoboCop video games. I'm curious. It would have been the console ones. My Pandora box has one and two, the old main arcade versions, which I probably played, but just playing them earlier today, they're so fucking hard. So are um, they shooters, side-scrollers? Because I, I played the NES ones. Yeah, I'm pretty sure the NES ones are ports, uh, but I probably would have played like RoboCop 3, which I think had a Super Nintendo and a Genesis release, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and then uh, Terminator or 
RoboCop versus Terminator. Yep. That game's awesome. And uh, I never played in the ones that got later down the line. Like even though the movie, you know, hadn't been mentioned in years, I know it got an Xbox game in the early two thousands. Um, but yeah, the the movie ones and then the RoboCop versus Terminator were the big ones I remember. And I man, I remember from comic books like the two page ads they would take out for RoboCop versus Terminator, and it would just be these horribly photoshopped images. But then you get like the little squares with the gameplay uh, stills. Yeah, it's fucking great. And I have played the pinball machine for RoboCop before. So what about you? It sounds like you had a bit more of an experience with them. Uh, well, kind of. First off, I want to say I remember those ads for RoboCop versus Terminator. And I remember thinking that the movie, that there was a movie that had come out and just hadn't made it to Peru. And I was like, holy <laughs> shit. Can't wait to see this someday. <laughs> this, I don't know if this is going to be on your Pandora. But the games are really hard and they're not particularly good but i mean at the time it was just like oh it's a robocop game that that sounds cool exactly robocop one is a side scroller you can't jump which is one of the most frustrating things about the game you just walk down the streets you can go up and down stairs whenever you find stairs but mostly you just walk in a straight line the other thing is you can't decide when to use your gun so you're punching until the game decides that now you can pull your gun out and then the gun comes out of your leg and then you can shoot. And frustratingly, sometimes the game decides that you're going to put your gun away when it's time to face off against stronger opponents. It's, it's just it's just bullshit. And, and the other thing is just like, it's RoboCop, but you're fighting dogs, you're fighting animals at some point. It's just like, what are you doing? Why, why not make it to work? You know, you're just everybody's shooting at you, and you're shooting at them like like the movie, right? Uh, it's really hard. Uh, I think maybe you get one continue. You have like two lives and one continue, maybe. Uh, it's not super long, but it's really hard. The penultimate level, the boss is Clarence. Excellent. Not that you could tell. I mean, <laughs> it could be just it's just oh. some dude in a trench coat, uh, and he has like a a gun that shoots like massive bullets. And then the final boss is uh, the. The ED-209, if I remember correctly. Makes uh, sense. Yeah, and then if you beat him, you get like a black screen that says, congratulations. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Robocop 2, again, I didn't finish that one, but I remember being really excited because you could jump on that one. And it was the levels were a little more complex, but it was still a side-scroller. And the big downside on that was that for some reason, I guess because they were trying to mimic the laws of physics or whatever, whenever you, like RoboCop would slide a lot. You know, we're, we're joking about wheelies before, and this is not quite that, but you would, the momentum would just keep carrying you. So you were walking and then you stopped, but you didn't just stop, you just kept going. And that made it really hard whenever you were jumping. It was just like you were you were sliding on water the entire time. So it was it was a pain in the ass. I, I remember uh-huh. not liking the game uh, and being disappointed because you want to like a RoboCop game. Oh, yeah, that's like the story of all those console games back in the day. Those NES games like that were just licensed out to movies. Like The only reason I still am like romantic about the Friday the 13th game was because it was the only Friday the 13th video game we had for fucking mm-hmm. 30 years. But that, it sucks. It's hard as shit, and it makes no sense. <laughs> uh, that's People, there are good games for the Nintendo, obviously, mm-hmm. but... So many of them were so needlessly hard or just like you're mentioning these side scrollers, just like copy and paste. Like it was just layers over each other of just shit to do. And 
Um, right, it could be Mario, but instead we're going to make the sprite look like RoboCop. <laughs> exactly, and the the uh, turtle is going to be a dog coming to attack you. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Main thing about RoboCop Terminator, I remember, was how really, really violent it was for the time, and it, it was RoboCop-style violence of, like, bullets just eviscerating bodies and shit like that. And in the story of it's cool, like I said, I unfairly called RoboCop a Terminator clone a few times, but the whole idea of that story is really good of like uh, the Terminator versus RoboCop game. That is of uh, Skynet starting to take over. So they're breeding these RoboCops to come in and, you know, fight the uh, T-100s and whatnot. All right. Well, what score do you give? What letter score do you give uh, RoboCop, Alex? Or are you going to wimp out like you did last episode and not give him one? Oh, no. RoboCop gets a grade. It gets an A for what it what it is. And like I said, it, it with the potential to be a completely different kind of A, if I ever get the urge to do a deep dive into it and really see what a lot of people are saying about it. But from what I view it as is just a great 80s action movie that spawned this pop culture icon. It's, it's an A, man. I, I loved it. I enjoyed it. It flew by when we watched it earlier today, and uh, like I said, I'm going to make sure I get it to add it to my collection and look forward to watching it again, revisiting the whole trilogy, even though the other two are dog shit in comparison. Uh, I look forward to watching RoboCop 3 for the first time and seeing that the I'll buy that for a dollar guy becomes president of the United States. <laughs> and then I'll be like, oh my God, this the entire trilogy is genius, <laughs> prophetic. <laughs> um I am going to give it four stars, which is still pretty... I, I like it. I like it a lot. But I cannot deny that in the end, it's not like I care. I I, I, I am wholly entertained. But yeah. I'm like, all right, that happened. <laughs> I'm not going to be thinking about Robocop for nights on end. Except maybe about what Verhoeven... If Verhoeven was trying to... <laughs> give Americans and their consumption of violence the middle finger. So yeah, upon rewatch, it might go up to four and a half, maybe even five. My mind is blown right now. A pretty good, solid four stars for me. It's a perfect non-committal movie of like, you never have to worry about getting overly occupied with what's going on on screen. Maybe the discussion afterwards can lend itself to that, but yeah, it's, it's great. So watch RoboCop. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> if you haven't seen it already. I'd be really interested if anyone's listening and doesn't like it, because I don't know if I've ever come across someone that doesn't like RoboCop. So if you are one of the contrarians faithful and you do not care for RoboCop, drop us a line at wearethecontrarians at gmail.com and explain yourself. I mean, it could be, be as simple as just not being able to handle the violence, which I would understand. <laughs> oh, yeah. If that's your reasoning, you can just tweet that. But if you have a different, <laughs> deeper philosophical uh, reasoning for not liking RoboCop, hit us up. All right, Julio. So that concludes this episode. What's on deck for us next? Up next, once again, we we continue. We we, we have to fulfill the second tier of our livestream for the cure 2020 promise. Uh, this time, we're tackling indecent proposal. Have you seen it, Alex? No, I have not seen Indecent Proposal. I always get it confused with other movies from that time period. Natural Born Killers. <laughs> Natural Born Killers, yes. Uh, the People versus Larry Flint and uh, Striptease, I always mix up. Uh, no, I have not seen it, and I'm excited. I'm looking at the poster right now. It's one of those classic 90s posters. Piece of torn paper 
On one side, we have a black and white Robert Redford, and on the other side, Woody Harrelson and Demi Moore embraced closely, open mouths. So let's get it. Uh, for now, though, we want to move into our perennial plugs. Start off by thanking the festive years who provide our opening and closing tracks. They kick us off with Last Stand, take us home with Summer of 99. As always, boys, much appreciate your contributions of music to the podcast. Be sure to head over to thefestiveyears.com for any and all festive years needs. Our logo comes courtesy of our friend and fellow podcaster Hans Rothwieser, who's also a novelist on top of being a great artist. You can check out his work at mildemonios.pe, M-I-L-D-E-M-O-N-I-O-S.pe. Uh, he has a whole bunch of zombie novels. He has an upcoming collection of uh, stories called uh, Project Tulu, where uh, he is one of the writers. He has four podcasts, Nación Combi, Contante y Sonante, and Marginal. Those are in Spanish. Uh, you can find him on any podcatcher. He also has a podcast in English called Living in Peru that's available on iBox. Hans, thank you for your work. If you like any of the graphics on our main page, on our Patreon, on our upcoming merch, that's all thanks to Hans. And thanks, as always, given to Zoe Perez, who helps us out with our social media game. She takes our Instagram and Facebook accounts to the next level. She helps out and makes a lot of nice graphics for us and puts videos together and the whole kit and caboodle. Zoe, really appreciate the work you do for us. So if you haven't already, give us a like on Facebook or a follow on Instagram at Contrarian Prime for both uh, or slash Contrarian Prime for Facebook. Y'all y'all will figure it out, but it's Contrarian Prime is, is how we do it here. Uh, but yeah, give us a follow. Zoe uh, provides a lot of cool material uh, on those fronts for you guys to follow and keep up with. So Zoe, thank you very much. With all that being said, that's going to do it for RoboCop, and that's going to do it for this episode of The Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong, and we will catch you next time. The summer of 1999.